Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we have a couple of fun things to talk about this week uh, and then something maybe not so fun, maybe a little bit more controversial, but we'll get into that <laughs> after the break. Uh, the winter issue of the Door County Living magazine is now out officially. Yes. And I was really honored and privileged to be able to write my first article for the Door County Living magazine this year. And I kind of did a deep dive on a historical figure, but uh, we're also printing uh, a rerun of an article that you had written for a summer issue of Door County Living about another kind of historical figure in Door County. And uh, we thought that this might be kind of a nice time to to talk about those two and, and how we kind of nerded out about history. Yeah, a couple of characters from the past, one from the, the way back past and one from kind of the more recent past. And your, your story on this Amos Lovejoy character was just really fascinating. So I know you mentioned you had the privilege of writing for the magazine, but it was uh, it's a really great story. And it, it was really great to get your your work in the magazine for this issue. And on such a like kind of goofy, fascinating, weird topic of this guy that you discovered kind of by accident. Right. So Amos Lovejoy is a name that I had heard about over and over again, especially while Peninsula Filmworks was interviewing people about the maritime industry in Door County. And I would hear this name and these different deeds that were attributed to him that I thought were were pretty special. But then when I went to actually look him up, I started to find all of these different stories too. And the documentation about Amos Lovejoy is actually pretty small considering he was attributed so many big deals. Uh, yeah. Like for one thing, a lot of people say that he's Door County's first shipbuilder. And of course there would be a record of that. Uh, yeah. Be a big deal. Right. That he was Door County's first fisherman. So you, you could say that he's like the grandfather of the maritime industry up here. He was known as the bachelor of Rock Island. He was said to be one of Door County's first white settlers. He was was said to be a master ventriloquist. Uh, he played the violin <laughs> really well. They said that he could throw his voice and he could mimic really well. Uh, they called him the Bachelor of Rock Island, uh, which kind of adds this other element to the story that he was unmarried, which back in those times was a, a major deal and, and something <laughs> that he would have to be uh, very embarrassed about. So all these different things came up. But the biggest story that I saw over and over again was that he named what is now Gill's Rock, he named it Hedgehog Harbor. So that's the story, I think, if you were to look up Amos Lovejoy on Google, that's the first story that you would see. And you would see it over and over again with slight changes, variations, but that's the major story of his life. And that's the thread that you pulled on that, that got you going down this route, correct? Right. So all of these different things are attributed to him. He names Hedgehog Harper, and the, the basic bullet points of that story is he he's kind of in transit between the peninsula and Rock Island, and he puts up his sloop for the winter. When he comes back, it is 
there's a hole that's been eaten in it by uh, porcupines. And so he's <laughs> like, henceforth, this place shall be known as Hedgehog Harbor. Not to mention that hedgehogs and porcupines are not the same animal or even related in any way. And I don't know why porcupine port wasn't an option. Yeah. Because if you want to keep the alliteration, I get it, but still. Um, so this is the big story that's attributed to him. And I'm thinking like, was this guy, Door County's first fisherman, first shipbuilder, named this place, first settler, was this guy real or is he a Door County tall tale? Yeah. He's kind of like our Bigfoot. Right. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, does Door County have a a legend, like a Paul Bunyan figure that we can attribute all sorts of stuff to. And wouldn't it be great if you could have like a new wave of legends about Door <laughs> County that were all attributed to this guy? Like, oh, the bluffs were were actually built by Amos Lovejoy. Or, you know, the, the Niagara Escarpment was actually pulled all the way over from New York. This is your children's book that you get to write now. Right. So that that's my question going in. And uh, in the article, I kind of talk about this deep dive that I did trying to pull from all of the different historical accounts that we have. And and we're lucky that we do have what we have, but we also have a pretty limited account of Door County's history. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you go to like, uh, and I I always struggle saying, I think it's Yalmar or Halmar Holand. He's kind of like the historian of the county that's done the most documentation of it. Right. But he's notoriously an exaggerator or just flat out wrong in many cases. And... You know, you're talking about a guy who was writing in the early part of the the last century and was taking it from hand-me-down, secondhand stories that people were telling him. He didn't have a lot of documentation to draw upon. Certainly not what we have today where you could just like double check so many things pretty easily. So who knows how much of what is documented as like Door County's definitive history, how, how accurate a lot of that is. Right. And I don't want to give away the entire article because um, I do want to give you the opportunity to, to read it in its entirety. But because it's important that people pick up papers. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want people to pick up. If you're listening to the podcast and you haven't picked up Door County Living for the Winter yet and this is inspiring you, I'm not going to spoil the, the whole article for you. Yeah. Uh, but I did look into Holland first. Like he's my first uh, touchstone for Door County history. And I didn't find anything about Amos Lovejoy from him. So that was a major red flag to me that, like, our premier historian didn't write about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I later found out that he did write about Amos Lovejoy. He just named him incorrectly. And that was kind of the first thread that I began to pull on of all of the other inaccuracies that Holland has about our history. And and that may be uh, a future article to write, but I I think it's really interesting that one of our premier historians uh, got something so wrong. Yeah, well... And it's also tells you that like if, okay, if he was calling him by a different name or, you know, was that because Amos referred to himself differently at different times? Right. And and then there's these other different characters too, where there's Amos Lovejoy and then there's George Saunders, who's another uh, kind of premier character at the beginning of Door County's legacy. And Holland is referring to George Lovejoy. And I'm wondering if there's a, a mistake or if these people are the same people. George Saunders, I believe, was... Door County's first elected politician. Hmm. So then I'm like, okay, are they the same person now? And and it's just this whole web that I tried to untangle to find things. Uh, And like I said, I won't spoil it, uh, but I did come to a conclusion on whether or not Amos was real or not, and you'll have to read the article to find that out. (laughs) Well, now you know. Well, now I know, and you will know too if you pick up uh, Door County Living. 
like I said a little bit earlier, you also wrote about kind of a uh, historical character in Door County for a couple Door County livings ago, uh, but we're reprinting the article in this week's paper. Um, tell me a little bit about who you were discovering. Well, if you've ever bellied up to the bar at the Bayside Tavern, you can't help but notice there's this big picture on the wall and this guy, kind of crabby looking old man, staring out with these kind of dark eyes and he's carrying a Playboy magazine. And if you go up close, you look at it and it says Harold Cooney Fish. And of course, you always wonder like, okay, so who is this guy and why is he on the wall of the Bayside? And I thought I would, this is the way a lot of articles I've done start where I'm just going to do like, oh, I'm just going to call somebody and get like the one paragraph, I'll run the photo and a cap, long caption and that'll just kind of like answer this mystery. Right. Of course, I ended up on the phone with many different people for hours because it's a pretty fascinating story, but also kind of a poignant Kind of sad story. Before you tell it, I, I'm just curious who you thought he was before you did any research. Because like I, when I first seen the picture, I guess my first thought is like, oh, that must have been the owner way back when. Well, and that's what I thought way back in the day. I thought this was like a family member or something This back when I was growing up. And then you'd always hear about it in Cooney Fish and you'd hear people say, like, I think at one time some guys from Husby's stole Cooney Fish <laughs> off the wall at the Bayside. And the guys from the Bayside went up and s stole Elkie off the wall of Husby's, like as an April Fool's joke. So it was like, you know, Elkie is like the the icon of Husby's and Cooney Fish is the icon of the Bayside. So it would be, be fun to try and distract the bartender and try and, and steal something. Right. But then looking into what he, I, I guess I thought he was like, I, oh, maybe this was a picture of a guy coming out of a an old outhouse. And that's why the Playboy magazine is there. And it's kind of a funny, they, oh, they caught this guy in the act kind of thing. And that's not it at all. Cooney Fish was a... A dump tender is what you'd call him. And this isn't actually that long ago. Like we're, we're talking 60s and 70s that every town had a town dump that environmentally it, it shows you like how how new our, our cleanliness and environmentalism is. But people would just go to the dump, back up their truck and literally dump their stuff into a, a pit or a hole. And they'd have guys at each uh, each town dump who would help sift through that garbage and go like help guide people to dump their stuff, but also, oh, this is worth saving or somebody might want this or I want this. And so they'd sift through the garbage and keep what they wanted and things like that. And Cooney was that guy. And he lived in a tar paper shack out at the town of Gibraltar dump. And apparently he would, not quite every day, but frequently just make his way, walk into town, walk down to the bayside, have his drinks, walk home or catch a ride from somebody home. Um, sometimes people would see him walking and they'd give him a lift over to the bayside. But he was just one of those guys who was always around, but also never really the way that the photographer, Peter Boyce, tracked him down. And he told me that he kind of has always regretted that photo. He gave it to Smiling Bob McDonald at the Bayside under the condition that he never reprinted. So he got one print put up on the wall because he said it's kind of sad that he like some people feel like he was taking advantage of this guy and that he set him up for this photo. And he said, no, he was just literally walking I had just rummaged through some stuff and Peter Boyce is a photographer, actually used to be a photographer in the Vietnam War. And he just snapped that photo and he just kind of caught him in a moment where he was staring right at the camera. And it's, it's such a kind of piercing photo, but he, he always felt bad because he's like, this was people kind of rip on and joke about Cooney Fish, but he was like, this is just an, another man trying to get through who didn't really fit in his time is how he described it. Right. So, and, and it's one of those things where you, you're only seeing a snapshot and we'll we'll talk about the Playboy too, because what you had mentioned there is kind of interesting. But this was not a man who would would pose for a photo. Like this was no. not uh, kind of a, a go getter, an outgoing sort of guy. No, not at all. At least not from 
what everybody told me. And that the fish name actually goes way back. That's not what Fish Creek is named for. And oh, that's okay. what I thought. I'm like, oh, maybe this guy is actually tied to like the family that the town was named for. That's not it. But that that name does go way back to like the 1870s, I think, in the town of Gibraltar. So it's it's an old school Gibraltar name. But it, it really was fascinating to go and find, hear all this, because then I got all these stories about other places that, you know, yeah, we had this guy up in Ephraim. He always manned the dump. Or this guy in Ellison Bay. And... For me, I grew up right after that era, so it just seems like of another world almost of having like these town dumps that people just right. managed, but we're not that far from it. Yeah, I suppose it's almost kind of like the uh, the graveyard keeper. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those types of like uh, more mythical characters that you don't really think about, or but you've you've seen in media. You know what I mean? Well, and there's there's something to it as well of as like you know now we're always looking at automation. How do we? How do we remove the need from humans to do these jobs to save money? But there was a time when towns just found a role for people instead. So it'd be like, okay, this guy can't really do this kind of job, can't do this, but he needs a job, he needs a purpose. He can be, we can hire him as the dump tender or this guy can be an extra glorified janitor or something like that. But like giving people a purpose, we've very much gotten away from that. But you would hear these stories of these these towns up here of just like, well, we we just gave him a job kind of thing. So the plaque on the on the photo at the Bayside, what does the plaque say? I think it says, what sort of man reads Playboy? Right. And when, when you look at that right away, it, it's almost kind of demeaning, right? Because it's poking fun at this person yeah. and being like, this is the type of man that reads Playboy. But that's not actually what the plaque means, right? Well, th- that's a play on an old advertising slogan that Playboy used all the time back in the, gosh, I, I would guess like 70s, late 60s. That was a one of the great taglines in... American advertising history at the time. Right. That saying, what sort of man reads Playboy, is riffing off of the fact that he's holding a Playboy, but not necessarily that he's the kind of man who would oh, do right. it. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of this um, th- this double meaning that you you lose if you don't have that historical context. Yeah. Which I, I suppose now, 40 years since that tagline was ubiquitous in, in American pop culture, and probably a lot of people just don't don't catch it. Right. Yeah, so just another one of those like interesting characters that you finally like you you think about from time to time and finally it just boils over and you're like I have to know who this person is. Yeah, and and you usually think it's just a simple easy answer like you said with Amos Lovejoy. Yeah, I figured I'd talk to a few of these guys who are in the maritime industry and they know all this stuff about them, but then you find out that there's just so many other threads. Right. Well, Miles, why don't we take a break and then when we come back uh, Sister Bay, tonight as we're recording this, this is Tuesday, uh, is going to be presented plans for a Dollar General uh, to be built in Sister Bay. Uh, we ran an article yesterday about it, and it is maybe our most commented on article in the time frame that it's been up <laughs> that The Pulse has ever put on Facebook. So uh, we'll jump into everything kind of surrounding that uh, when we come back. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. If you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew, that we did. I 
didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Paul stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual door wedding guide. And you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster, but might want to add a little something something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Okay, we are back and we're joined by Sam Kersevit, videographer and editor for Peninsula Filmworks. How are you doing, Sam? Doing great. We wanted to bring you in because uh, when we talk about different places, a lot of times it's just Miles and I talking about, say, Sturgeon Bay, where we don't necessarily live or have too many ties to. But for this one, Miles, you live in Sister Bay currently. Sam, you grew up in Sister Bay. Getting that perspective, I think, is important. And we had talked a little bit about your views on this, and, and we'll kind of rehash those for the podcast. But let's start at the beginning. So tonight, as we're recording this, Tuesday, Sister Bay is being presented plans for a Dollar General that's going to be built in Sister Bay, correct? Yes. And this is not a business that's moving into Shopco's vacancy, right? This is a brand new building. Brand new building right up the road from where Shopco used to be located in the former Chris Grocery Store. It would be at the corner of Highway 42 and Fieldcrest Road okay. between Aurora Medical Center and the next building over would be the Professional Realty Building. Across the street would be Pirate's Cove Mini Golf. Okay. And there's a, there's a meeting tonight, Tuesday. So, of course, by the time this airs on Friday, we'll have updates to this story that you can find on DoorCountyPulse.com. But what is the story as we know it so far? Uh, Stevens Point-based company presented plans to the village to purchase and then build a 7,500-square-foot Dollar General store. It would have 41 parking spaces. On the surface, it meets all the requirements that are allowed in the general B1 business district in the village of Sister Bay. So it's not a special zoning permit. They're not asking for a zoning change to build this. It fits under the existing zoning that exists for that parcel. And when we posted about this yesterday, I think I was shocked just to see that we had 100 comments in one hour. So maybe our most, I don't want to say controversial, but our definitely our most... Um, uh, interacted with posts that we've done in a really long time. And there's a couple different things that came up in reading through comments and kind of hearing what the community is talking about that I wanted to mention on here. And I think the first one is that Door County does not allow chain businesses in, or it does not allow chains in north of Sturgeon Bay. Is that correct? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Tell um, me about for example, the across the street from where this would be built, Pirates Cove Mini Golf is a chain. Aurora is a chain of medical centers. Shopco was a chain. True Value, Ace Hardware, Lampert Lumber, every bank, every gas station. Some of the biggest chains in America are located all over Door County with kind of a sneaky way of getting around sign ordinances, but that's another story. Right. There's, there's chains everywhere. So there's precedence for this type of thing. But one thing that people point to all the time is that Sister Bay kind of came up against a subway being built in Sister Bay a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, that was back in 2010. A man who owned a chain of a subway restaurants down in the Green Bay area wanted to build one in Sister Bay toward uh, not quite where uh, Hammersmith TV and appliances is. And that one faced a massive pushback by people who felt like we didn't need a subway up there. They didn't want to see chains move in and kind of undercut local, locally owned businesses. That was not 
denied by any rule that the village had. It ended up being shot down in part, I think, because of the backlash. Those were some of the most highly attended meetings I've I've ever attended and covered. But then also because once they f- they thought it just fit under existing zoning, but when they wanted to put a drive-through window in, that pushed it into conditional use permitting, which at the time had a lot more teeth. Since then, the state legislature has kind of really watered down what you can do with conditional use permitting. But at that time, it it meant a much more arduous process for the builder, and he just scrapped the plan. So that's kind of where the story is right now as we're talking about it. But I just want to kind of put some feelers out to see what you guys think. Sam, you grew up in Sister Bay. You, of course, were familiar with the Shopco and the Piggly Wiggly and all that kind of yep. stuff that's there already. But what are your thoughts about Dollar General? Well, I know that the dollar stores in general, tend to kind of have a bad reputation right now. I mean, there's been a massive boom for general stores. I think there's like somewhere close to like 30,000 stores operating in the United States right now. It just seems like kind of a weird thing to have interest in our community. You know, I feel like they make sense in a lot of rural communities, but Door County, it just doesn't really seem to be a great fit. They kind of have association with being kind of like lower income stores. And I mean, as much as I think our community could really use good general store or convenience store. There's also, you know, I think a certain stamp that gets put on the community and an association that comes along with a store like that. Right. Do you think that the the public response to this would would be different, say, if it was moving into Shopco? I do, yes, for sure. I think the idea of building a brand new building for already what is a controversial, you know, nationally recognized chain store yeah, I think it already comes with a bad taste. And then kind of the salt in the wound is that they're going to be building this brand new building. Right. You both live in Sister Bay. Is is that convenience factor something that you guys sorely miss now that Shopco is gone? Or was it something that you weren't even taking advantage of when Shopco was around? Personally, I, I guess I miss, I wouldn't say miss it is anything. Like it doesn't affect my life on a day-to-day basis. When the pharmacy shut down, that threw a lot of people for a loop. But now there is a new pharmacy that's opened. And that, that if that new one hadn't opened, that would have been a legitimate long-term struggle for a lot of people, especially as, as old as our population is. People going to Walmart, Walgreens, driving 45 minutes to an hour to go get their prescriptions was a, a major issue. The one thing that was nice about Shopco is they were almost always open till 9 o'clock and they were open early in the morning. That is one thing that nobody else has filled that gap in Northern Door, where I think there's probably a big opportunity for some of the other businesses to do that and provide some of that convenience. And there, and there were some products that Shopco had that otherwise you just, you have to drive for now down to Sturgeon Bay. And again, that's one where I, I would love economic development committees and the Door County Economic Development Corporation to work with those local businesses to try to fill that gap. Kind of the difference between like a Dollar General and say like Youngworth Hardware Store, which is an Ace Hardware Store, it's still owned by the Youngworth family. Like the profit comes in at the end of the day. It, it's staying in that family. They're using that that hardware store brand to kind of brand the store, but it's owned by them. Whereas the Dollar General, I think, would be owned by corporate. It's not like there's Mike Anderson from down the road is opening a Dollar General store. I don't. I've, and maybe this will be proven wrong tonight at the meeting, but there's no like figurehead of the store who's invested in the community that keeps the money here. Right. Same case with Shopco, mind you. Like that was the same exact deal. So I was told that Shopco brought in and close to five million dollars in revenue a year. All the profit at the top of that is leaving this county right. when that happens. So, Sam, you had mentioned uh, the other kind of big part of some of the pushback is 
the the ethics of the business itself. And you had mentioned that there's a difference between the three major like dollar c- companies, right? Right. So kind of during the recession, when these companies were all starting to gain traction, I guess, the, well, there's only two now. Dollar Tree, I believe, was bought by Family Dollar. And so the Family Dollar approach is very much make everything in the store cost $1. And so that means like repackaging certain things to be unique for the $1 price point. And I think actually what people are realizing is that that family dollar concept isn't working quite as well as the dollar general concept, which is more just trying to keep prices really low. I guess if it were a lesser of two evils, I'm glad to see that there's a dollar general that would be coming into the community. But still, I feel like they're kind of in that same vein where they're cutting corners to keep costs low. And I think that's going to reflect on both the service that you can get there and the quality of the goods. Right. They, they did release kind of a, a proposed design for the building. And it, it definitely takes steps to kind of fit into the environment. It's definitely got, uh, there, there's more consideration in the architecture than just kind of like a concrete square. It's not your boilerplate um, cinder block that I would have expected and that you've seen elsewhere. Right. I would give them credit for that. To what Sam said, one of the things that I found in researching these companies is that they're, you know, people see them and they go, well, but some of the poor people in this county need these these cheaper stores. On the whole, they're not actually cheaper because... They might sell you something, but they they do it by changing the per unit or like how much of something is in there in any given product. So they'll shrink down the size of the product so they can sell it at a price point. The per unit cost is actually greater than most independent stores or your Costco's or your Walmart's. So it's they're not per unit. They don't end up being much cheaper. Right. For food, they're one of our largest grocery stores in the, in the country because um, so many people are buying cheap processed food from Dollar Trees and Dollar Generals. And so, you know, when people start shopping that way, you're paying higher grocery prices because you're doing it on this bad per unit basis. Right. And then you're also not getting any fresh food. It's mostly shelf-stable food. Right. And that's not the model either. Like, it, they, they're not expecting you to come in every two weeks and do all of your grocery shopping. They're expecting you to come in and pick up dinner. They want you to come through the doors multiple times and spend more money that way than going in and, like, getting your groceries for two weeks. And then there's those people who have commented that, you know, just where most of that stuff is made. Now, on the flip side, heck, I bet you most of the clothes that we're all wearing in this room are probably not made in the United States. Right. I mean, we we kind of pick and choose where we want to be like, well, this is where I'm going to throw my moral stick in the ground. And like, I these are cheap Chinese products. Like, look around your house. Yeah. <laughs> most of it is. So we're kind of hypocritical in that sense. But I totally get where people are coming from. On right. Front. Uh, another thing that I had seen kind of raised uh, on the pro side is that this will create jobs in Sister Bay. And and that is something that no matter what you thought about Shopco, that was something that was lost when Shopco closed down is like something like 30 jobs. Yeah. The dollar store design, they're, they're generally two to three employees on at any given time. In fact, their parking requirements are based on them never having more than three employees working at a given moment. So it's pretty much it's a low impact thing. Throughout the country, they generally, it's not like they're high wage jobs. A manager at, according to Bloomberg, manager at Dollar General probably make about $40,000 a year and be expected to work 60 hours a week. That's one of the things that economically, how it's going to work here, where you have an economy where people are paying $12 to $15 an hour at Culver's or $12 to $15 an hour for jobs that I used to do for like $6 when I was growing up up here. The wage scale is off. So that doesn't, so for a company that's used based on coming in and paying people minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, I don't know how that works once you have to pay almost double that to get consistent employment in Door County. 
as we're kind of wrapping up, I think the big question that I have is, is this kind of a cut and dry yes or no, or does it have nuance to it? Is it one of those things where it's like, well, maybe we could be more accepting of this concept if certain things were changed about it or certain considerations were met? Sam, you had mentioned uh, a rebrand or a name change might go the distance in changing public perception. Yeah, I think that just, you know, sometimes you see the signs coming into a certain town, you know that that's the one convenience store in town. And I think that already with the negative connotation that seems to be associated with the name, I personally like the idea of having a convenience store because sometimes, you know, you don't want to have to go spend a half hour at the grocery store just to get a gallon of milk. It's sometimes nice just to be able to run into the convenience store, grab it and go. But I think that, like I kind of was saying before, the name itself kind of has that negative association. So I think that it could be simple as, you know, a rebranding. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be great to see a small family ideally open their own convenience store and have that be the way that I can get those products. But if it has to be a national brand, I'd just rather not see that name on like a giant sign in Sister Bay. Well, in the same way that it was like the Shopco hometown, do you think that like the Door County General would, would have a better public facing appearance? Yeah, that that's it's not a bad idea, honestly. Even from from a perception standpoint from outsiders, even if it was still the Dollar General brand, but if it was just called something different, I think a lot of people probably just feel better about it. My biggest concern is honestly of just the staying power of a store like that. I mean, Pomita failed, got bought up by Shopco. Shopco stuck around for a while. They're gone. And again, Shopco didn't leave because they weren't making money. That was from everyone I've talked to was one of the most successful stores in the entire Shopco lineup. And they left because of larger corporate structures that didn't care about keeping that store open. If you had a local owner who was running that store, it's, it's probably still there because they're, they're doing pretty well and they'd be investing in the community. Right. And they would be making their decisions based on a long-term scale, not short-time venture capitalists and hedge fund decisions being made far, far away from here. Same thing with Dollar General. I mean, these things go through a boomer bust cycle where, you know, one minute, Dollar Tree and Family Dollar are both two successful businesses. Then they get bought up and they close some and and shut down 300 around the country. Walmart opened all these Walmart Expresses all around the world or or all around the country about seven, eight years ago. Within 12 months, shut a bunch of them down right after. And in in those 12 months, they kind of forced out other local businesses that never reopen. And then so what is a town left doing? Chasing other big international conglomerate stores. I mean... Even in Sturgeon Bay, you've seen it where you had a Kmart come in. A few years later, Kmart leaves. Sturgeon Bay is left with a massive parking lot and a massive building. Before that, Sturgeon Bay had a Spurgeon's and a pick-and-save building in the center of town, and those ended up going and sitting empty. Or Yonkers. Like, when you start playing this game with national retailers, they're not invested. They really don't care if they live long-term in your community. They get as much as they can until the next guy buys them or the next hedge fund or conglomerate buys them out and decides that that community is no longer the most valuable place to reap profit out of this company. And that's what what I fear is what's going to happen in five years. Yeah, when you when you put it like that, I guess when I look at them building a new spot, part of my brain immediately goes to, well, I would rather see commercial industry there than, say, condos or something like that. When Why you, is that? Just because... When, when you're investing that type of property into condos, you're not creating something that the community can fuel and you're not creating something that, that you can interact with. You know what I mean? Like tourists don't come up here to check out the condos. They come up here to check out the nature and to enjoy the restaurants and the, the shops and that kind of stuff. So when you buy a... Although when you have a condo, you have a long-term tax base. 
you do have the tax base, and 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 then and, they, and you have people who actually put their money into that community and cared about it. So you, as much as like we and I've done it too, like you 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 kind of have this like knee jerk anti condo reaction, but like no matter what condo it is. When somebody buys it, you got to go, wow, somebody invested $700,000 because they wanted to be in Sister Bay. Like, that's that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> and somebody wants to do that. But you're right. It does. It takes away some of that commercial activity. But in the long term, let's say this thing does go empty and it goes in, it falls into the, what they call like the dark store loophole where they don't then have to pay the taxes on the highest use. There's actually like tons of lawsuits around the country going into this because when a, a big company like a Walmart or Dollar General or something shuts down their store, they start to pay their taxes based on like nothing ever being on that property rather than the highest and best use of the land. Right. Whereas if someone builds a house, it's always taxed as a house. <laughs> well, that was going to be what I was getting into is that if it if it's a store and it's being used as a store, great. If it closes down and something else is able to come in, at least we have that facility there to to do that. But we haven't seen any movement on Shopco yet. So it doesn't look great. Or what you're saying about the Kmart and, and those types of things. When you've got these these buildings that are just vacant for years, that's not doing anything for anybody either. So it's kind of a, it's a fine line to walk where it's like, if everything worked out for the best, then yeah, there could be a silver lining here. But if it doesn't, you always have to deal with, you know, the harsh reality that way too. Yeah. As far as the the meeting that's going to be interesting tonight is if there is any way for sister, uh, because I know like a lot of the talk on Facebook and the emails and phone calls I've been getting has been, well, how do we, how, how can we stop this? What can, what can we do? And from what I gather, not much. It's, it's allowed in that zoning. The village could say no, but if the village says no, they're probably facing a lawsuit. And if they, hmm. you know, then it's a decision of, do we want to go to battle with this? And, you know, we'd probably lose that lawsuit anyway, because their, their zoning doesn't disallow something like this. And as long as it meets, as long as the plan meets all the requirements, it's possible that that plan does not meet the requirements for the amount of green space you're supposed to have or parking spaces or stormwater runoff. There's there's other aspects because it is kind of a, it's a relatively small lot. So maybe they'd catch them on something like that or they'd have to amend the plan. And then you'd have to see if whether or not they'd want to amend the plan or just look at other properties. There are, I won't name them. <laughs> I'm not going to encourage this, but like there are other large lot, much larger lots available in Sister Bay in prime locations that, that somebody could buy and do something like that. Something that you just said there that makes a lot of sense now, but I guess I never thought about is the the town or the village can't pick and choose what comes in legally, right? As long as it fits all the requirements, the town doesn't have as much of a say as I think a lot of people think they do. Exactly. And I, you see that all over the place on, on Facebook. Anytime a controversial issue comes up is that people is like, how did they, they act like the Door County community is standing up as one and saying, we're getting a dollar general and we're going to put this in. It's like, we towns don't decide to put something. Like sometimes they can incentivize it. Sturgeon Bay tried to incentivize a guy to build a hotel and they've done that in the past. You can do that through offering um, tax breaks. You can do it through offering land or or infrastructure, things like that. It's a little bit of what they've done in the, the door hotel property in the, that Sister Bay bought what had been a vacant property for eight or nine years, bought that to try and so they could control the development that was going to go there. But in general, like, it's not like the village goes and says, like, must put a grocery store here, a restaurant here, or we're going to get a gas station here or a Dollar General. The proposal comes to them to then decide on. And as long as it meets the merits of, you know, if you wanted to go and open um, Andrew's Dollar General and you met the requirements, like, they can't just say no to you because they don't like your kind of store. Because we're all pretty bad at that. We don't know that something's cool or viable 
until it is, right? Until somebody comes in and opens it. So it's not up to a town to say like what, what works and what doesn't. Do you think public perception would change if it was called Andrew's Dollar General? I, th- I, think, I think it would help. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I think if, if it was called like John's Dollar General or John's Dollar Store, it would, people wouldn't be as averse to it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, like I said, the meeting is tonight as we're recording. We will have updates to the whole story on DoorCountyPulse.com. Is there anything else before we wrap up that's important to let people know as the story develops? I don't think we'll have a final decision on this thing tonight when I go to that plan commission meeting. I'm guessing it'll be sent back in almost every case like this. There's not like an immediate approval. So it'll probably go back to the developer and then there'll be another meeting. So stay tuned. Sam, thank you so much for joining us and offering your opinion as somebody who's grown up in Sister Bay. I can't wait to see your general store that you build in the coming years. Uh, (laughs) It'll be great to shop there. Miles, thank you for chatting with me. Have fun at the meeting tonight. I know it's going to be exciting. And uh, we'll have updates for you on DoorCountyPulse.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.